Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. We are back here, and it's going to be a warm one today. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a little cooler tomorrow. Then we got a couple more warm days, and it cools off a little bit. But that warm weather is affecting some of our fishing, and some of it in a positive, some of it in a negative way. So we're going to, over the next half hour here, we're going to cover a lot of that with a couple of our guests. Starting right now, we're going to go to the phones, and from Tightline Outdoors, we're joined by Josh Sedivi. Good morning, Josh. Morning, Terry. How's it going? You know, it's going great, and I'm getting notes and stuff on people, both from boats and shore. You know, a lot of people, uh, this time of the year, they think we're in the dog days of summer, and the fishing is really tough. And what I find out usually is that Fishing is tough if you keep doing what you were doing three or four weeks or two months ago. But if you're willing to adapt and look for other opportunities, there's a lot that can be ha- that's happening. Exactly. There's a lot going on right now. So what's going on with Tightline and I suppose specifically some of the metro lakes and maybe the pike up in the mountains? Uh, so we've continued to see a phenomenal live bait bite uh, for walleye in our local Denver men- metro lakes. Uh, our shad hatch is a couple weeks behind schedule. Uh, I don't know if the first hatch really failed when they dropped water, and that water level uh, kind of spiked with all those early 90-degree-plus days, or if, if that just delayed that uh, – that spawn a little bit uh, last year, especially at Chatfield, we saw two great shad hatches. Uh, so we might have had the first one fail, and the second one is is just now getting to where we're starting to notice them on the surface in low light hours or at night. Uh, so we're looking to continue this live bait bite at least for another couple weeks, which is really good. I mean, it's a super easy, super fun bite to get on. Um, if you got kids or new anglers, it's a great way to get out and put. Uh, 60 to 100 fish plus days on the boat. Uh, everybody kind of likes that. Now, Cher- Cherry Creek is fishing a little different because there. Are, I don't think there's ever been a, a week that there hasn't been a shad hatch on Cherry Creek. So compared to Chatfield, what are you seeing at Cherry Creek? Uh, so Cherry Creek, we're seeing a little bit of the same stuff. Um, they're a little bit farther along, but we're kind of noticing a lot of these lakes uh, even up in the mountains, all seem to be running a couple weeks behind schedule. Uh, so, you know, Cherry Creek's a little bit farther along. The jig and wrap bite, the blade bait bite, uh, some of those normal things that we're already doing this time of year are just getting started well. But you can still live bait uh, rig there as well. So, what about are both are are you seeing suspended fish? Are you catching anything trolling through the suspended baits? Um, so we've been seeing really since the beginning of the summer, uh, a couple distinct bites. Uh, we always have suspended fish. Um, just, just the way that our, uh, like, especially at Chatfield and Cherry Creek, our main food source is shad base. Um, so we have a lot of shad that are suspended. We have a lot of rainbow trout that are suspended. So for big fish, your normal bite for those big fish are going to be suspended. Uh, and then the structure, uh, that's when we're picking up our eater size fish or our, our numbers and, and that kind of stuff throughout the year. So that suspended bite is always there. 
Uh, we've been for a couple months now doing a live bait rigging bite because the main food source available to most of these fish are those small little bugs, crayfish and leeches and that kind of stuff. And then we've also had a really good uh, shallow weed bite this year. Um, it's been mainly focused on either crayfish patterns or perch style patterns. Uh, but those fish have been in there for about a month or so now, and, and that'll just continue until the shad hatch really gets kicked off and we get those shad at a bigger, bigger size to where uh, it's more beneficial for those fish to start targeting them. Now, those shallow weed bites on the crayfish patterns, are those accessible from shore? Are they close enough to shore where, where a shore angler might be able to take advantage of them? They can, especially if you target those low light periods. Uh, but at the same time, if you can find an isolated uh, section of shore that has those weeds in about five feet of water where it's ending towards shore and work those weed edges and just take your time and go slow, um, you're just going to have to keep working until you find those little pockets of fish because they're not spread out evenly throughout the weeds. They'll be in little groups of... Uh, a three to six fish and then you might have to go another 150 200 feet before you even find another one uh the great thing about that is there's a bunch of small mouth and and little perch and that kind of stuff mixed in too so you know if you're casting something like a ned rig which is super effective this time of year for those uh you're going to run into a lot of different fish now, we're going to talk more in the next segment with Austin Parr about some of the shore fishing opportunities. But what I find happens this time of the year is a lot of the walleyes have moved deeper on structure or suspended. Or the trout, the water's gotten so warm on the front range, not the mountains, that the trout have gone deeper and almost seem to disappear. And people think the fish aren't biting. You just have to look for other tactics and like bass and ponds and like this bite right now with these shallow waters. But there are opportunities, but you can always, you don't have to go very far up in the mountains and start getting back into some good shore fishing for trout. What is going on with the trout and pike for you guys up in the, the major reservoirs in the mountains? Uh, so the trout bite is, especially at Antero, has been really good this year. Um, it's a lot shallower fishing this year than what we've been seeing. Um, and then with the pike, uh, especially at Spinney, they dropped the water level really, really quick in the beginning of the spring. Uh, almost, I mean, the boat ramp was closed for an extra couple weeks. And then uh, right after they opened it up, they had to let more water out, which almost caused them to shut the lake down again for boating, which thankfully they didn't do that. But that fluctuation in water um, caused the weeds to start growing at a certain spot on the, like within the lake. And then they raised that water level again. So that kind of stunted some of the, the weed edges that normally we'd see a little bit deeper this time of year. Uh, so the pike and trout fishing there has been absolutely incredible. Uh, we're able to do a lot of different stuff like trolling F-18 still. Uh, we've got between two to probably four feet of water over the, most of the weed edges. We don't have any weeds that are grown all the way up to the top. So uh, that makes that still a very viable option. Uh, you can still cast to those weed edges or over the weeds and pull jerk baits or big swim baits or whatever. Uh, and then we're getting to the point of the year where 
the topwater bite has been going on. We've had uh, Dustin, one of the guys, he had a great day this last weekend where uh, he had everything just perfect. He had to dodge a couple lightning storms, but they had a phenomenal day on topwater uh, just fishing the windblown shore. So that's getting ready to, to really kick off, and that's always a really fun bite. Um, so, yeah, fishing up there has been, been really good this year. Now, you talked about spinny, the water fluctuating. Is it is it pretty good shape and stable right now? Yep, it's been stable for a couple of weeks. So, um, like I said, it, it came and went fast enough to where it just really knocked down uh, the ability for those weeds to, to grow and expand over the lake a lot, which normally gets kind of choked out, and uh, we're forced to, to cut our tactics down a little bit and just fish the weed edges or um, not able to fish over top of them anymore, uh, but that keeps keeps options open for everybody, whether you want to go out and still fly fish and pull streamers or uh, hopper dropper rigs up close to the bank. Uh, it's been pretty effective for trout lately. Uh, we still have those options, and you're not getting choked out by the weeds. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been really good. Have you seen any kokanee showing up at 11 Mile yet? Uh, so in the spring, kokanee was still going pretty good. I have not heard uh, how it's continued through the summer. But the way that we had our last winter and the way the spring was starting out to be, uh, I would expect it is probably going pretty good. Those fish are obviously going to be pretty deep this time of year. Um, so you're going to be looking at pulling, pulling rigs on downriggers and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, we had a pretty good kokanee class. I want to I want to switch gears on you. I know you're also an upland game hunter and guide that you do a lot of that. And a lot of people this hot weather haven't been getting out, they haven't been hiking, they haven't been working their dogs. How critical is that at this time of the year? Oh man. Um Yeah, there's a lot of it that goes into it. I mean, it's hot and we don't want to be outside. Uh, if we don't pay attention to it, it can be hazardous to our dogs, especially like we get used to walking around with shoes and that kind of stuff on our feet. Uh, if we get home from work and it's five o'clock at night, it's still 97 degrees out lately. And that, that cement is over a hundred. Um, so taking our dogs for a walk at that time, you're just looking for issues, having uh, their paws burn and that kind of stuff. So we'd be either really got to focus on uh, getting our dogs around water and some of those cooler places, keeping them off the concrete or just getting up really early or, or staying up late and working our dogs after that sun goes down. Uh, bird hunting seasons are coming up on us fast. Um, we all kind of get in the same deal. I know I put on some weight over the summertime, get a little bit lazy and uh, start eating more food and that kind of stuff. Don't walk as much as I do in the fall when I'm guiding a lot and my dogs are Kind of the same way. We take a couple month or so off, and then we've got to start trimming down and uh, watching our, our food intake and all that kind of stuff, and then make some sacrifices. So fortunately for me, I'm able to be around the water a lot. Uh, you'll see in some of my videos, I've got the dogs on the boat when I'm, I'm out by myself, and uh, just try to get them exercise and uh, keep them off the cement and some of that stuff in the middle of the day. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, another mistake that people make, I think, with their dogs, too, is they think, well, I'll beat the heat 
and we'll go up in the mountains and go for a hike. Well, some of these dogs haven't been hiking much. They're not ready for that altitude. That can have an effect, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and making sure you have enough water if you are going to do any of that kind of stuff uh, is pretty key. Uh, if you're going to go up to the mountains, another thing to think about is most of our dogs that we have are either water dogs or they're upland dogs, and we're not dealing with rocks a whole lot. So if you are going to be hiking on some of the hiking trails and that kind of stuff, just be cognizant that, for one, there's a lot of rattlesnakes in some of those areas. Um, so be aware of that. Uh, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of water, so make sure that you're bringing enough water for your dog and, and giving it to them regularly. And then the other thing is uh, dog boots might not be a bad thing the first couple times out. I know I always keep a couple in the truck because we hunt kind of all over from um, Nebraska, Wyoming, all the way down to Texas, and you run into different terrain types. So I've always got dog boots with me. But the first couple times you go out, um, just kind of like what we do, if we don't do a lot of yard work over the wintertime and then we start in the summer, we kind of lose all those calluses on our hands until they get built back up. Our dog's paws are the same way. So if you take them up there and you're running on rocks and doing that kind of stuff and that dog wants to push, he wants to work, uh, you're just asking for injuries. So uh, just be cognizant of that kind of stuff and try to mitigate it where you can and keep your, your dogs happy. How long does it take the, your dogs usually to get used to wearing boots for the first time? Um, they walk around kind of funny for about the first probably 15 minutes. And then once we start working, it's go time. I mean, it's no different than we're on, like us, we're on an elk hunt and we're finally successful. Our buddies are successful and we've been walking around with a 35 to 45 pound pack for most of the season and then we start throwing quarters in our pack and that first moment that you get that pack on your back and realize that you've got to adjust to that weight, like it's not super comfortable, but 15 minutes into it, you're just so focused on getting to the other end of the trail that you don't really think about it. And that's kind of what I see with the dogs too, so... All right. Well, Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Lots of great information. Um, we'll have you again on very soon. If people want to get a hold of you guys, it's tightlineoutdoors.com or tightlineoutdoors on social media, and you guys do a great job. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Terry. I really appreciate it. You bet. That's Josh from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk a ton of fishing on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones because I want to give as much time with this gentleman as I can. He's one of our favorite resources, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I don't know if you heard some of the earlier parts. You were probably busy. You tend to be that way on Saturday mornings. But we talked a little bit about Chatfield and Cherry Creek. What's your experience, Ben? Let's get those right away. I want to talk about some other things, some shore fishing, some other lakes. But let's. what are you seeing on especially the walleyes, Chatfield and Cherry Creek? Yeah, to start with on Chatfield right now, we've not seen very many bait fish in the lake. The lake dropped pretty heavily right when the, the larger shad were up shallow and spawning. And although I like seeing bait fish for the health of the lake, the overall fishing has been absolutely incredible. Uh, this last week, I averaged 80-plus fish days on every day, but the bite is certainly a bait bite at the moment. They are not keyed in on bait fish. They're still eating a bunch of bugs on uh, live leeches and crawlers on long lindy rigs with 
real plain setups has been best. Not many blades or beads, just real plain black hooks. Uh, but the bite has been very good. The fish are up on structure, and if you can get them uh, located with the sonar, the Lindy's will definitely touch them. And then shifting over to Cherry Creek, it's pretty much the polar opposite of what we're dealing with on Chatfield. Uh, there's, as usual, a lot of shad out there, and that definitely makes the bite a little bit more challenging. But reactionary bites that I enjoy, like blade baits and jigging wraps, have been very effective. Uh, those fish are following those shad schools, and you'll try and set up on a specific structure point casting to them and have the fish come through rather than a chat field where I'm really going out locating the, a school of fish and working through them. But then also at Cherry Creek, trolling high in the water column with some planer boards and small cranks like a Salmo Hornet or a Flicker Shad and fours and fives have been doing pretty well. Yeah, it's been, I'm hearing really good things, and it's great to see the front range up and down the walleyes. What about the bass at Chatfield? That definitely is a whole other opportunity that has been very good. Uh, those fish are set up on the rocks quite well, and with the lack of shad, they're still keying in on crawfish pretty heavily out there. And uh, right along the dam face, the main set of the dam face, so I'm finding them in that eight foot of water range, right where the rocks round off and head into the deeper water. So there's that shallow flat, and then it falls right off into that deep stuff, and they're all stacked up on the edge right there. Uh, a variety of techniques has been effective. If you get down with a crawfish colored square bill that's a little bit deeper diving, that has been a good way to catch them, but definitely weightless wacky rig sankos are one of my favorites. You just let them fall down there and fish really slow, parallel to the dam, and you can catch a lot of fish over there. Bait under a slip bobber is always a good choice, too. Live leeches will catch you a whole bunch. And then as you get over to the corner of the dam, you have more of a, a deeper flat there and fishing where the rocks meet that sand with Ned rigs and tube jigs right on the edge of the rocks will definitely catch you a lot of fish as well. With a lack of bait fish, however, there's a little bit of a topwater bite going on, but not quite as prolific as we've seen in the last several years. Now, any other lakes you're hearing, Pueblo, Sterling, any good or bad things out of those? Northeastern lakes have definitely been a little bit challenging this entire year, and they continue to be out there. Uh, Jackson, we're going to be losing boating probably in the next couple of weeks with the heavy irrigation demand, uh, pulling water out of there. Sterling and Jumbo have both been a little bit more on the slow side. But then down at Pueblo, that bite has been, been okay. Uh, there's a lot of bait fish out there similar to how Cherry Creek is. And the guys are catching fish that are a little more suspended and pulled off of those structure points. Uh, there's been a few wipers being caught, but definitely the, the big report that I'm hearing have been the, the smallmouth, largemouth, and spotted bass on a lot of the same techniques we just mentioned for Chatfield. Now, I want to switch gears with you. I've had uh, both online and just on the text line at the station today a lot of questions about shore fishing. And let me t what, what I think happens this time of the year, just as the boat fishermen are used to fishing over structure and the fish suspend, a lot of shore fishermen in Colorado fish for trout, especially up and down the front range. You get this warmer weather, and those trout tend to move away from the shore and go deeper. They get difficult to catch. And those that do fish for walleyes and other species, it's changed. And so what are the opportunities? Let's start with the front range. Obviously, you can go up in the mountains. There's lakes like Joe Wright and Pinewood that you can have great shore fishing for trout yet. But what about up and down the front range? It probably has to be warm water species. What do you look for if you're going to fish from shore right now? 
So to start with, we have a lot of really good small pond opportunities all across the Front Range, even small neighborhood ponds or ponds in state parks like south south end of Chatfield or at St. Vrain. But all of those ponds have good populations of largemouth and some smallmouth bass in there as well. And as you mentioned, those particular fish are very active this time of year, whereas the trout are not active really at all. So targeting the largemouth are one of my favorite things to do if I was on the shore. Now, a topwater bait definitely is one of my favorite choices early and late in the day. You can cover water with it, and you can stay out of the weeds. Poppers are my my favorite choice overall, I would say, but things like a chopo or a whopper plopper along the surface just on a reel also can be very effective. Now, subsurface opportunities can be very productive as well. Spinner baits uh, definitely can help you get through those weeds. Uh, a lot of the weed growth can be impeding other techniques like square bills or anything with a, a treble hook really on there that's going to be diving down. But the spinner baits and then even chatter baits can help you stay out of those weeds. And then a Sanko fished weightless on like an extra wide gap hook uh, on a similar, you'd be rigging a Texas rig, but with no weight also can be good. Now, these same techniques will work at Chatfield. Those bass, as I mentioned a minute ago, are all over those rocks. And although we've been out in the boat, obviously, the shore fishing opportunities are quite good right there. And you can catch a lot of those fish along those those rocky edges. And uh, a couple days ago, we were out throwing some swim baits along the, the dam, and we did pick up a few walleyes as well. So you have opportunities at a multi-species affair out at places like Chatfield right now. But if I was to be specifically targeting places, it would be my small local ponds for largemouth. And one question was just what you mentioned, the walleyes. You know, walleyes tend to move. They suspend more. Are there opportunities for walleyes or maybe sawgeyes from shore this time of year? Definitely. So on the eastern side of Chatfield, near the Handicap Pier, cast into the north, you can get access to the very eastern side of the roadbed. And that area is a good spot, and I would feel confident catching walleyes there. A bit to the south on the same lake, uh, you have some bluff walls just to the west of the campgrounds and those areas offer a nice sandy beach with a good drop off that those walleyes will sit on but then saw guys are something i like to look at as well there's a lot of smaller ponds and lakes that are having saw guy bites that can be effective out in there now one thing i like to mention uh, people like eating walleyes and saw guys but some of those smaller ponds can't take quite the harvest that the larger lakes do so maybe be a little bit mindful about that but lakes like bear creek can be worthwhile there are good saw guys in there as well as smallmouth bass, and those lakes can do well with things like blade baits on the shorelines. You can catch them on swim baits, kitex, and ripple shads both do well on an eighth or a quarter ounce jig head. And then even lipless crankbaits worked on a yo-yo style retrieve. I have had success um, on the saw guys on all those techniques, uh, especially at places like Bear Creek that don't get quite the weeds like some of the smaller lakes do. We are out of time, my friend. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle or six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. We will talk again soon. You know, folks, so much we're going to go today. You bet. We're, we're going to go to Sean early here in just a second. We're going to stretch this segment a little bit, Jake. Um, but one of the one of the people on the text line asked, asked specifically about up north here by uh, Loveland. A lot of these techniques will work in all the ponds and small lakes and even Boyd Reservoir and, and Horsetooth can be great. Also, we're probably going to have Brad Peterson and Chad Lachance on next week, and they can help us specifically more for these northern lakes. But these techniques will work. In the meantime, let's go to the phone. And speaking of fishing, we're being joined by uh, 
Sean Early from Elkwoods Insurance. Good morning, Sean. Hey, Terry. How are you today? You know, speaking of fishing, you were just out, I believe, Stanley Lake. You love to hit it near kayaks, don't you? Yeah, I love Stanley Lake. I live uh, one mile away from the entrance, so heading over there real quick is easy for me. Well, you know, and you put your kayak on there, but a lot of the fishing you do there, we've had a lot of people asking about shore. Uh, a lot of the techniques, just casting some basic lures from shore can be successful, can't it? Yeah, if you just go look for a little bit of structure, if you kind of wade out to your ankles, which sometimes they're not happy about, um, just so you know, you cannot swim in that lake, so they say ankle only for wading. Um, but if you just cast it into a little bit of structure right on the edge of a boat ramp, a lot of times you can get that smallie bite. In fact, you were out there in your kayaks, and you were using just, I think you said, like Castmaster presentations. Yeah, we were actually trying to catch the elusive trout and ended up catching a bunch of smallmouth. So it was fun. Missed out on the trout, but any time you catch a fish and get off a skunk, that's good. Yeah, it's all it's all good and a lot of fun. And, of course, the hunters need to be getting ready both seasons. You're an avid hunter, and you're still kind of putting your plan together, I think, aren't you? I am. I'm still deciding whether I'm going to go archery or rifle. I'm leaning towards rifle, but, uh, you know, just get out and shoot whatever you're going to shoot now, whether it's your bow or your rifle or your muzzleloader, and make sure you're dialed in and comfortable at any range. You know, I, I got to ask you an insurance question. We just heard from somebody, I can't remember who it was, that um, their insurance company, even though they've made their payments and they've never had an issue, because of where they lived and the fire danger up in the mountains, they dropped their insurance, so they have no insurance. Does that happen? And are there ways that you should be doing things to make sure you maintain your insurance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, that does happen. A lot of times these carriers don't want to take on that risk um, or they, they, they've taken on enough risk and they've had to pay out a lot of claims, so they'll drop people in the area. Um, the one thing that I would suggest is make sure that you try to mitigate as best as you can around your property and make it appealing for the insurance company to say, hey, you know what, you've done the right work around your house and we don't feel like that this is as big a risk as some people in the area. And uh, if, if you get dropped by a company and you haven't had a claim, can somebody who like like you that works with a lot of different companies, are you maybe sometimes able to find them a new insurer? Yeah, absolutely. So not only do I have a lot of standard carriers, I can go into the non-standard section of even homeowner's insurance, and we can place that coverage with a company that will take a higher risk. And and there's even some companies. You told me that there are companies that will even contract fire protection? Yes. Uh, so there, there are com companies that will do that. Um, specifically, I'll just mention Safeco is one of them. It's it is a um, endorsement that you can add to a Safeco policy that if you're in a high fire area, we can add the endorsement for fire protection, and they will hire um, a uh, fire department to come in from an out-of-state usually and then protect your property, or they'll rotate around two or three properties. Um, there's some higher-end insurance companies that do it as well, like Chubb or AIG, but for people who just have a small cabin or live in the mountains and just have a normal house, Safeco would probably be that best bet. All right, my friend, we have to run. How do people find you? Uh, all my contact information can be found at www.elkwoodsinsurance.com. All right. Hey, we'll get out fishing together pretty soon, but thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Tight lines, everybody.
All right. Thank you, Sean. Sean Early, Elkwoods Insurance, just a really great people to do business with. If hand, They'll handle your insurance needs while you're out on the water. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. Hopefully, J.R. Pierce is patiently waiting to talk to us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. JR here in just a second, but before I yeah, before I do that, I want to mention you know a lot of people. We've gotten some comments on the text line, and we talked about Chatfield quite a bit today, and we did, and that's because it's super hot right now. It's a place where you can go and catch some fish, uh, and we did try to put in some more shore fishing today. And we get asked all the time about shore fishing for walleyes, and shore fishing for walleyes can be done when you get to this time of the year. But it's extremely tough. Now, there's a few lakes. Boyd, you might be able to do a little bit up here in the northern part. And Douglas is another one. But I'm going to be honest. If I'm going to shore fish this time of the year, I'm either going to go up in elevation someplace like Joe Wright or Pinewood and fish for the trout or the grayling because I know I'm going to have pretty good success. If I'm going to try for warm water species down here in the front range, I'm going to fish a lot of the ponds and really small lakes just because I can cover ground. If I have my mindset that I'm going to catch a walleye from shore this time of the year, it's not that it can't be done, but it can be very frustrating. So keep that mindset. You can go out and try it, but if you want to catch fish or do you want to just target walleyes and then make your decision. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, as he does every other week at this time, well, usually earlier than this, but I'm way behind, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Terry. And how are you doing, my friend? Doing very well, Terry. Got a beautiful day out here, a bunch of people coming out to enjoy some recreational shooting and uh, just having a great time with it. Well, thanks for joining us last week at our 25th year show. That was great to have you there, and I understand you got to talk to a number of people. Yeah, I did, Terry. Uh, uh, several people that I haven't seen for a while. I had one particular story I wanted to tell. Uh, I did run into a gentleman at your 25th anniversary live show there at Jack's, and it turns out that this person had scheduled some shotgun instruction with me a couple years ago at Colorado Clays. And the reason he did that was because he had gone through multiple brain surgeries that had seriously affected his vision, his hand-eye coordination, and some general physical skills that we all take for granted and would need for shooting clays. And, well, Terry, he really wanted to shoot again. So we went out to our training trap, worked together for a couple hours, and ended up figuring out what it was going to take to get him shooting and breaking targets again. And, Terry, I think this really speaks to the value of individual one-on-one instruction because we all have our own issues that can be identified, corrected, or worked through uh, to make us better marksmen. And, you know, sometimes you're going to find it is a physical issue like that, you know, issue like that gentleman had, perhaps an eye dominance issue. Uh, sometimes it is just uh, fundamentals of stamp, sight, picture, follow through. Uh, I think as Karen, Karen has taught you, how you grip your pistol can affect your shooting. Um, yeah. your, hey, watch it there, pal. <laughs> sorry, Terry. Uh, breathing yeah. techniques with your rifle uh, and so on. There's so many little things, um, and often you're going to find it may just be your gun. Uh, it may be patterning improperly. Uh, it may be a scope mount or relief or sight adjustments on your pistol and so many other things that they're really easier to identify with some help. And, of course, um, Terry Colorado Clays has the most highly trained staff 
and instructors in the industry. So I guess what I'm getting to is I would encourage anyone, regardless of their skill or experience, to schedule a session and maybe learn something that will increase your proficiency um, with whatever type of firearm you have. Well, I couldn't agree more. You know, um, sometimes we get stuck in our ways, too, and we think we can correct it, and we think we know what's going on. It's like a baseball player that gets something wrong in his swing. A lot of times he has to watch the videotape with an individual coach to pick up what, what he's doing. Is he dropping a shoulder? Is he getting his hands out in the wrong place? And you don't feel it. Now, shooting is very much like that. You know, shotgun shooting in particular because your sight picture on a shotgun is so much different compared to where the pattern goes in even a rifle or pistol. But you're right, you know, the little things you do is, uh, are you, are you swinging and leading? Are you stopping? Are you going through? Are you, are you understanding? Have you patterned your gun? Those are things that, uh, just by yourself, you just almost can't figure out alone, JR. Yeah, totally agree, Terry. And I'll say, uh, and that's what we do here at Colorado Clays. We do it on a public access basis. Anybody is welcome to come out. And the amount of information you can learn by using um, the tools that are available here at Colorado Clays is really uh, hard hard to imagine if you haven't done it or don't uh, come try it. What is there a common, like, let's say we've got, Dove season coming up, and I don't want to hear about it. I just want your comment about dove season <laughs> coming up. And 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 is there some particular flaw that people will come in and say, "I'm just missing a lot"? And that, you know, you do some personal work. Is there a couple things that just seem to jump out more often than others? Uh, Terry, yeah, there's a few things that people do that a lot of times they don't realize they do it. A lot of times they do it more on a particular game or on a hunt, but. Keeping your head on the gun uh, through the shot. Just always remember the shot is not over when you uh, pull the trigger. And often people will lift their head to see the result of their shot, and in doing so, actually raise the barrel and screw everything up on a shot. So keeping your head on the gun, which also uh, promotes a good follow-through. So those are just two of the most common things. Most of the misses I see are behind or high and behind from either stopping the gun or lifting your head, which stops the gun and shoots high. So very important uh, to follow through, just like a golf swing or anything, uh, as you said, in the sports world. And it's very difficult to pick that you're doing that up by yourself. You need somebody with you, and the people out at Colorado Clays can help you. A couple things I want to run by you before we go. Of course, you have all the different disciplines of shooting, trap, wobble trap, skeet. You've got the rifle and pistol ranges. Of course, the sporting clays courses. So you've got all the disciplines. People can practice whatever they need to. But the seasons are right around the corner. People need to be out. They need to pattern their guns. They need to be shooting now. But we talked earlier in this hour about getting your dogs out and walking them. Well, even more than walking them, sometimes you need to get your dogs out and get used to hearing shots. Can I do that at Colorado Clays? Absolutely, Terry. We're very dog-friendly here at Colorado Clays. One of the very first things you have to do with a pup is associate good times with gunshots. And here at Colorado Clays, we have a big enough uh, property that you can literally start out, you know, say up at the top of the parking lot, let them hear distant shots, go on a walk with them, and just associate fun with gunshots. And when the dogs start learning that good times come with it, it all comes around so much quicker. So, yeah, definitely don't take a dog out and scare it with the first gunshot up close. Uh, break them in slow and uh, make it fun for them. We do it all the time, and we love having the dogs here. 
All right. Last thing. Are you, what are you seeing happening in the ammunition world? Well, Terry, things have not loosened up a whole bunch. We are getting slightly more access to some um, ammo. Uh, it's looking like possibly Colorado Clays will, in fairly short order here, be able to do unlimited 12-gauge, uh, which is going to be a good thing. Uh, I will say one other thing, too, Terry. With the seasons coming up, we do have some reloaders out there. I know some of those muzzle loaders use the 209 primer, uh, for their cap, uh, Colorado Clays does have in stock and plans to continue having uh, 209 primers for sale uh, indefinitely. So might be some good news if somebody's looking for some supplies. Uh, we definitely have those covered as well. So how do people find you, my friend? Well, give us a call, 303-659-7117. We'll answer any questions you have. Go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Uh, look through, see what we're about, take the virtual tour, uh, and definitely uh, get out and enjoy some uh, shooting here at Colorado Clays. Well, and I just want to remind you that I'm heading on a trip to Minnesota. I'll be gone for a couple weeks, but I'll still be doing the show from there. But go out and brush up on your skills and let me know when you're ready for another beating. <laughs> you, you're on, buddy. Um, you better learn something in Minnesota because I'm coming for you. All right. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. J.R. Pierce, you know, we always have a good time. One thing, if you go out there, you've got to promise me, get cut, cut. J.R. will take care of you, and he'll give you the best information. And the people around the place, him and, and Corey, are just fantastic. And it's a first-class operation. But cut no slack to J.R. You can cut him no slack. We, that's our goal for the rest of this year is, that cut JR no slack, but they're great people. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a tear in my eyes each night I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Another Wickstrom and Dobra song. Jake is taking good care of me today. Of course, you can search search your favorite streaming service or, or social media for Wickstrom and Dobra. We'd appreciate Give our music a listen. And if you don't like it, you can send me a message and tell me. I'm okay with that. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We are going to be jumping around between The Fan and ESPN in the next uh, couple months. In fact, the next two shows will be over on ESPN from 10 to noon. And what happens, the fan is our home. We broadcast here from 9 to 11 almost every Saturday, about a half a dozen times a year, and mostly in the fall. We get pushed over to ESPN from 10 to noon. There's going to be a Broncos training camp program. There may be an Air Force football game that by contract we have to cover. There's going to be the Broncos preseason game. So some of those will get pushed over. We do the same entire show. We do it, though, from 10 to noon on 1600 ESPN. Now you can listen to us on the radio or you can go to 104.3 The Fan and click on uh, Listen to ESPN. And that will you can listen live online on the apps. Or uh, we podcast everything, so both by the hour and by the interview. So you can go back to 1043thefan.com, go to the Terry Wickstrom Outdoor page, and then you can see podcasts going back for weeks and months. 
by the interview and the same thing by the hours. So we do hour one, hour two, but we also do like this last interview with JR. That will be a separate podcast. So however you follow us, please, you know, let us know what you think. And along those lines, I want to thank everyone who showed up or participated in any way in last week's uh, celebration of 25 years of Terry Wisham Outdoors on the radio. I've been really blessed to be able to do this show for this long, and hopefully we'll keep doing it. But as two or three things that have made it possible for me to do this, and one has been the listeners out there. You folks, if you didn't tune in, they wouldn't keep me on the air. And we really appreciate that. And hopefully we've enhanced your outdoor experience. Uh, we don't always get things 100% right, but we certainly try to give you good information so that you can better enjoy the outdoors. The other thing that's made this possible is I have a partner who works and supports what I do. My wife, Karen, who's an avid angler, outdoor enthusiast, but also understands our what we do here and contributes and helps keep this show uh, scheduled on the air and going, keeps me in line a little bit. Sometimes she keeps me off the water sometimes because I have to work on the show. But for most of the time, she's just out there with me. And I have having a tremendous partner who has shared this journey with me, both our television and our radio. And, of course, my columns for the Denver Post and everything else is really what's made all this possible. Now, the next couple of weeks, we'll be traveling in northern Minnesota. And we'll broadcast once from uh, around Lake Winnemagosh one show, and then another one will be on the north shore of Lake Superior. Both those next two shows will air from 10 to noon on ESPN. So follow us on there. We'll give you some reports from there, but we'll still have tons of content. The majority of the show will still come from right here and right here. Now, the people uh, fishing, we've got, we get requests for shore fishing. We tried to cover it a little bit today. One of the things I've learned over my years of fishing was that if I decide that I just want to do a certain technique for a certain species, I get frustrated. So learn to go fish for what's happening at the time. Like right now, the the grayling are probably going crazy at Joe Wright. I could fish those from shore. I could fish them from a kayak or a float tube. The panfish and bass in the ponds are very accessible. Uh, there's smallmouth bass by the shore of a lot of our bigger lakes. The trout have gone deep down here, but they're shallower up in the mountains, maybe pine wood or red feathers. So take advantage of what's happening out there instead of trying to force it. You'll have a lot more fun and you'll catch some fish. All right. We're going to wrap this up. We'll say thanks to Jake for keeping a, the board running inside the fan studios. Thanks to Karen for keeping us in line. Thank all of you for joining us today. Join us next week on ESPN 10 to noon. Let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN.